Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at cardboardtoheadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined by social media manager at The Athletic, Megan Reyes. Megan talks about the importance of inclusion over competition for women in sports, creating meaningful and intentional relationships, and why it's okay to be emotional. She also shares great social media tips on creating content that's both engaging and entertaining. She and I have been friends and colleagues for several years, so we talk about how we met and the many good times along the way. This episode is really fun and you guys are going to love it. Please make sure to leave us a five-star review and enjoy. Megan, I am so excited to have you on today. You guys always have, we have such amazing guests on Get My Job, uh, but when I get to have people on that I am friends with and have worked with, then it's even better. And Megan and I have worked together in a number of capacities, including she was our Saints and Pelicans fangirl when we had team fangirls. Um, We've worked together on her fangirl vintage line. uh, And of course, she is one of the people responsible for the fabulous memes you see in Fam Girl Sports Network. So Megan, welcome to Get My Job. Thank you, Tracy. I'm super excited to be here. It's crazy. We've known each other for like three or four years now. The time's gone by fast. I think even longer than that. I think even longer. And really kind of a fun story how we got to know each other was yes. um, <laughs> I was, it was actually our Taylor Felix, who was our Rams fan girl. Who said I this this woman started following me? Her she's like I think it was Fangirl. Was it Fangirl by Megan? Is what it was called yes. at the time. Yes. And I was like, "What's Fangirl by Megan?" And I looked, and and you made those like great bracelets, and then you made the t-shirts, and so I reached out to you, and that's really how we became friends and started working together, uh, which is incredible. Sometimes social media guys has some positives. Sometimes yes, it's um, very incredible the power. <laughs> actually, oftentimes it does. I think the the pros do outweigh the cons for sure. Um, So we've known each other a long time. And then it turns out that we had mutual friends, mutual colleagues. And so here we are. So, so excited to have you on today. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about social media because that is your world. But uh, I ask everyone if they can kind of start by taking us through their professional journey. Like I could give everyone your bio, but it's much more interesting when you share kind of the ins and outs uh, of where you are and, and how you got there. Yes. Um, it's kind of a funny story. And I always kind of preface it with back when I was 17, 18. Um, when I went to college, I originally wanted to be in fashion, which if you if you know me well, isn't that surprising. Um, I, you know, was big Lauren Conrad fan, watch the hills. Oh, I want to do that. I want to work at Team Vogue. I want to work in fashion. Um, but the the irony is I can't draw. 
And <laughs> while I'm very creative, I'm not artistic. And so I realized this route's not going to work for me. I'll do a different route and do maybe marketing or PR and try and get into the fashion industry that way. Um, so I went to school and majored in business and my freshman year in my freshman business class, our professor at the end of a lecture said, hey guys, just so you know, the athletic department is looking for marketing interns. So if any of you in here are marketing majors or need an internship, go and check it out. I'll send you guys an email. And you know, I was a freshman. I didn't know what an internship was or if I even needed one, but um, I'm a very curious minded person. So I checked it out, applied, got the internship. And that was my first taste at working in sports. And I was obsessed. I didn't know that a career, a full-time career, and the industry was possible at that time. And, and, you know, this was like 2009. So there wasn't the same type of resources that exist now, especially with social media about working in sports. So I really figured it out on my own. But I was very passionate throughout college about I want to work in sports. And so, um, you know, did that for um, my entire college career. I prior to graduating, got a summer internship with the Portland Timbers and the MLS. And got a taste at professional sports in a front office. And when I graduated college, I was very fortunate to get my first full-time job in the industry um, at the University of Oregon. So I did inside sales, ticket sales there for about a year and a half. And it was hard. It taught me a lot because at the time I wasn't very um, outgoing. I'm very extroverted, but I'm very shy when it comes to talking to other people. But it taught me incredible interpersonal communication skills. It really taught me to just go outside my comfort zone. And I learned how to strike and create conversations with random people, with strangers from all walks of life and um, had a lot of fun doing that until um, actually through a connection, through the power of networking, um, a client of mine at Oregon worked at the Warriors, at the Golden State Warriors. And so uh, you know, did the typical, hey, uh, I, I see you work at the Warriors. If, if you ever have any job openings available, please keep me in mind, mm -hmm. uh, you know, through, through LinkedIn. And sure enough, a few months later, he remembered and said, we have a job opening available that's very similar to what you do now. And I think you have the skills. And if you want to apply, here's the link. And long story short, uh, made it through the process, took a chance on myself. I'm, I grew up in Idaho grew up in a small town, Eugene, Oregon's not very big and came and moved to California um, by myself in 2014 and was very fortunate to work for the Golden State Warriors for about four and a half years and uh, did client relations. I managed season ticket holders. So again, really learning to cultivate relationships with other people, um, strong relationship management skills. And after about four and a half years there, very lucky, I was always there during the championship ride, every season I was there was a championship season. Um, I decided to try something new. And so I uh, pivoted and I went to 2K games and did partnerships, licensing, music licensing, a lot of different fun things. I got to wear a lot of different hats and work on all our different video game titles. Um, but for me personally, I'm not a gamer. And so I missed sports a lot at, at my route. That's what I had always wanted to do. So um, I then came to The Athletic, where I'm now currently, and I've been doing a mix of both community marketing, but now I'm also doing social media full-time for us, and it's a lot of fun. I've been here almost two years, and 
in a nutshell, that's sort of my journey. And then I've gotten to do some fun freelance projects on the side, like with yourself and Fangirl Sports Network. But it's always been for me, it's always been about sports. That's that's always been my bread and butter. So there's two things or a few things I want to unpack in there, but I'm going to start okay. with the Warriors because uh, then we I want to unpack some of the other stuff. But, you know, you were there during very special years, as you said, they just kept winning championships while you were there. <laughs> uh, what was that experience like? Did you know it was special when you were there or did that kind of take some time away from it to realize, wow, I was, I was really part of something? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit, it's, it's a mix of both because I started August, 2014. So I started right before that first championship season Steve Kerr had just been hired. You know, there was a lot of speculation on whether or not he was going to great player, great broadcaster, but will he be a great coach? So there was a big question mark going into the season. Um, so I didn't know any different, right? My first season was a championship season. And I think it was a mix of my coworkers and others that had been at the company for a really long time, sort of humbling myself and the other quote unquote newbies, the rookies that guys, it's not ever like this. We're usually a lottery team. We're usually really bad um, for me to really understand that this is something special. Um, but especially kind of by 2017, when it started to become a norm, it also took um, perspective from my clients and from, from fans from the outside to be like, what you're doing is really cool. And I think when you work in sports and this is something that gets lost on, on some people is the, the glitz and the glamor of the industry certainly wears off. And for me, it kind of, not only did the glamor wear off, but okay, three championships in a year. Oh, just another finals. It sounds silly, but it was really just our norm. It took mm -hmm. um, some other people helping frame that expectation or that understanding of what you're doing and where you're working right now is really cool. So I kind of understood it in the moment, but it wasn't until after I left. And when you kind of look at the state of the team now um, with the injuries and they went, you know, from a finals team to a lottery team to really understand, wow, what I got to be a part of was really, really special. So you said how when you were, you know, where you were in college and you were doing internships, you didn't really know what the availability was in sports. And definitely 2009 was, it was different. There certainly weren't as many resources. And I think people really didn't know how many opportunities were available for women and men in the mm -hmm. sports industry. How do you think we've improved upon that? And uh, how far do you think we have to go? Yes, I think with the power of social media, it's just helped so much because it's really brought us um, within the sports community together and allowed us to share advice, knowledge, resources, job opportunities, even just, you know, the development of the actual social platforms itself has created um, more accessibility and discoverability to said jobs. Because for me, prior to that, or when I was going through college, it was really teamworkonline.com, you know, the job posting board for sports. And it still exists and it's still a great resource. But if you, other than that, unless you knew someone, there wasn't the the means and the medium to connect with other people and to really network. Um, I think LinkedIn had maybe sort of been a thing at the time. So it was quite difficult. I think just the nature of technology and where we are has really helped. Um mm -hmm. And I think with that, it's also really brought us closer together. And something that I'm very passionate about is helping 
support and mentor, uh, particularly young and aspiring women in the industry through the powers that I have with Twitter and Instagram, but simply those just didn't exist at the time. So it was a lot harder. I think we've taken major steps towards uniting as a community and helping one another learn and grow. I think there are, we could go a lot further as far as being a truly inclusive community and industry. And how do you think we can do that? Um, For me personally, I feel like particularly for women in sports, we're all very supportive of one another. But I think it's also just the understanding of that every single one of us belong and every single one of us has and should have a seat at the table. I think there's still an inherent understanding or thought that we need to be competitive with one another when that's certainly not the case. We all belong. We all rightfully deserve and can work in this industry. I think once we can like cultivate and really help both men and women teach one another that this is an inclusive space, it it will help so much. I absolutely agree with that. It's something we talk a lot about on this podcast and it's really important. We don't need to compete with each other. Mm -hmm. There is room for everybody. And I think a lot of that is over the years, there was a feeling that there did need to be competition. There weren't Mm -hmm. as many opportunities but we do so much better when we're supportive and inclusive and that only creates more opportunities. Yes, 100%. So you, we've talked quite a bit about the power of social media. So let's talk a little bit about social media. As, <laughs> as a social media manager, you do such a great job. And we'll talk about both your personal you know, is so funny and and so clever, but you also do a great job on the athletic and also do such a good job of making things a little bit more clever and not just like the run of the mill tweet. How do you navigate that line between funny and professional and then not crossing the line? Sure. Um, I'll answer it from both my personal and also my professional. For me personally, I like to have, um, you know, I like to have a little bit more fun with it. I'll push the envelope a little bit. And for me, when I write my tweets, I, I write them in a way that like, that's an actual thought in my head. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's how I would say it. And that's sort of how I want it to come across is I want it to come across as like, I just blurted this random thought out. Um, and I, me personally, I, I can be very goofy. So some of these things are truly, I'm, I'm talking out loud. I'm just happening, happening to press send tweet at the same time. Um, right. <laughs> professionally, what helps for, for me is um, because of the athletic, we pride ourselves in being expert and authoritative in the sports industry. And we don't consider ourselves meme accounts. And we like to have fun. We like to be witty, but we certainly have um, a limit. So that definitely helps create these guidelines on how far we can push it with our humor and our wittiness. Um, And it's actually kind of fun because it really, it's challenging, but in a good way to figure out like, how can I best craft this copy to get the point across while it still remains true to what our brand is, but while being a little bit different and not being boring? How can I add a little bit of flavor, but without stepping outside of, you know, our brand voice? So that that's definitely helpful because those guidelines just based on how we like to um, present ourselves to our consumers help shape that. For professionally, do you have any sort of checklist for each tweet or post? Um, as far as like what goes into it, 
Yes. And like things you want to make sure you get across. Uh, do you have any way of saying like, wait, what if my mom read this, if my boss read it right away, would I get in trouble? You know, that kind of stuff or, or just anything. Yes. What do I have to get across? Do I have to make sure I have a certain hashtag, like make sure mm-hmm. you don't forget the link, you know, just like little things like that. Because sometimes in the heat of it or when you're moving really quickly, you can't, not you, but the universal you can forget that. Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. make sure, you know, read all about, you know, Tom Brady's road to his 10th Super Bowl. And then you tweet it out. And like 20 minutes later, you're like, there was no link in that tweet. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to make it really hard to read all about it. So, you know, things like that. Do you have like a checklist or anything that you, you go through? Um, for me, what I do is so, um, okay, let's use this um, example. And I'm, I'm sure a piece of content out there, whether the athletic or any sports uh, media outlet right now exists of Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl. Um, if I were to, hey, Megan, can you, you know, program this piece of content on social? Basically, my 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 steps and the checklist I would go through is I would skim it. If it's um, an article that really, really grabs my attention, I may actually read it all the way through. But for me, what I like to do is I like to skim it and I like to pull out a nugget of what someone's going to really care about. Um, I think for me, because I also am a very passionate sports fan and also a very active social media user, I also like to look at it in the context of if I was scrolling on social media and I saw this article, what's going to what's going to make me stop and what's going to capture my attention? So mm-hmm. I like to scroll through and skim through the piece and find whether it's a quote, a sentence, like a really juicy nugget is what we like to call it. Um I like to pull that out and I like to put that in the social copy. And sometimes depending, I'll um, put like a call to action. I'll ask a question or I'll have people weigh in or really just so that there's more engagement beyond just, hey, we have this great piece out, you know, please click and read it. Um, We want to put something in there that's going to make people share it. And on top of that, can we add something compelling in the copy to make them reply? or to create conversation. So for me, that's kind of how I always like to go about it is, is there something that I can share that people are really going to care about that are going to make them click? And for us being a subscription-based company, potentially make them sign up for a trial if they don't read because, oh, wow, this looks really interesting, but I want to be able to read the full article. And can I create um, a call to action that will get our users and our followers to engage with us? And, you know, from time to time, I'll add in some humor, some emojis. Um, and yes, I always worry about forgetting to add a picture or a link. I have done that before. <laughs> I think it happens. Everything's going so fast. Right. Um, I think that that absolutely happens. But that's really, it's a really, a couple really good points in there. The wanting people to reply, something that would make people share the call to action. And I think those are really important things to think about in terms of social media, especially when it's the promotion of something. Because sometimes people get turned off by promotion, even though that's 100% what social media is. And if you give them a reason to care and Mm -hmm. want to do something, I think that makes a big difference. So those are, I think, helpful tips and helpful tips for people starting, you know, in that portion of the industry. So you mentioned, of course, that you are an avid sports fan. uh, And I'm sorry. The Saints are just, they just really <laughs> kill your January. They just, they just do it. And I don't know why. It's not kind. It's really not. Um, <laughs> they do, but they do do it. Um, but you are an avid sportsman. You're an avid social media user. 
how have those experiences kind of helped you in social media and, and helped to shape your content? Yes. Um, you know, I will, I'll be honest because I feel like this is really important for others that want to get into the social space and that have interest. It can, it can be difficult when you are both a social manager and you're also a sports fan. Um, so I'll kind of have two parts for this, for this question. And, and I'll start with this thought that I'm alluding to where when you are on social 24 seven for work, um, and then you're also a sports fan, sometimes mm-hmm. you want to unplug and sometimes you want to decompress. And for me, that's picking up my phone and, Oh, what are my friends up to? But when over the course of 10 years, my Twitter has been curated to pretty much be a sports bar and everyone on there is talking about sports. It's really hard to um, compartmentalize and separate work from pleasure. Um, And so one thing I would recommend is, you know, if at all possible, I create lists. So I'll create a Twitter list of sports. I'll create a Twitter list of my friends and sort of just pick and choose the things that I want to see, because sometimes it is difficult to, to sort of take a step away when you are, fully tapped into, you know, sports Twitter, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But um, in the ways that it has shaped the content I create and the approach I take every day for work, it, it's very helpful because I always think like, what do I want to see? What do like-minded sports fans such as myself and what do like-minded women sports fans want to see? And mm-hmm. how do we communicate with one another? So I'll see things that are going on on my personal Twitter or on my personal Instagram, things my friends and, you know, peers in the industry are talking about. If it's relevant, if it fits to our brand at The Athletic, should we be doing the same thing? Um, Again, like we're not a meme account. So a lot of the meme trends, uh, Bernie sitting down on a chair (laughs) doesn't fit for what we're doing at The Athletic, but for certain trends it does. And, um, you know, what was it? Five, for so months ago, completely lost the track of time, but the whole um, how it started, how it's going trend, um, it fit. And so I remember seeing that and taking the idea to um, my my manager and was like, why don't we do a, how it started and show a tweet of our very, very first tweet ever from the Athletic Chicago, which was actually five years ago today. Or oh, wow. And then on the other side, do the announcement that we hit 1 million subscribers. And so it's helpful because I'm I know what's trending. I know what people are talking about on social and it helps shape the content we create. It helps also shape, hey, there's really big things going on on social, whether it's politically in sports, pop culture, like maybe we should steer clear of using X term or talking about X subject. Um, So it kind of just gives me like an overall view of what people care about right now. And you talked about, you know, sometimes you want to decompress and step away from it. Is that more difficult than it sounds? Like in your personal time? (laughs) Yes. For me personally, it is. And I also am just been, I'm always, always looking at my phone, whether I'm doing something on social work or for pleasure, whether I'm talking on the phone with my friends to just sort of decompress. It can be tough. um, And it's especially tough when, you know, we're home. We're all home right now, staying safe. So it's not as easy to just go do something or or put your phone down. Sure, I can put my phone down and go on a walk, but I'm home 80 to 90% of the day 
probably looking at my phone or at my computer. So it is a lot tougher than I think some people realize. It's really just figuring out how to best find the balance. I um, Sometimes when I walk the dogs during the day, I like to leave my phone at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I like to listen to a podcast or something, so I bring it. But something happened. This is kind of a random story, but you'll understand why I'm bringing it up. Something happened a couple months ago, and luckily I had my phone with me. I had taken it on the morning walk, and I got home, and the like I went to open my door, and the lock came out. Uh, so it just it broke, and I had to call a locksmith. And it was Imagine. interesting because I had this moment where I was like, you know, I try to do something nice for myself by not bringing my phone everywhere. That being said, <laughs> had this happened with not my phone, this would have been a much more difficult situation. <laughs> like, yes. yes. Uh, and so it, it is kind of hard to find that balance. So I've played around with like, okay, I bring my phone, but I put it on airplane mode mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of thing. Cause it's hard, you know, on the one hand we want to step away, but on the other hand, like the phone is kind of a necessity. Mm-hmm. And then when you have it, it's kind of, we mindlessly tend to open up our social and just scroll because we're so used to it. So it, it's yes. definitely a hard balance. It is. And then to your point, you know, when you're, uh, a woman walking by yourself, you often would feel safe if you had your phone with you. So I sometimes will do the same. Um, Even if I go on a drive, of course, I bring my phone with me, but I'll put it on, you know, do not disturb or whatever it may be so that I just don't feel like I have to be online or connected right now in this moment. When I was working for the mayor of DC, and this was a while back, so it was like, it was Blackberries. And I had two Blackberries, a personal Blackberry and a work Blackberry. And Oddly enough, this sounds counterintuitive, but when I would go for a run, I'd bring the work BlackBerry. And mm-hmm. when people would say, well, why don't you want to shut it off? I'm like, no, it's not that. It's that if like something happens, I want the BlackBerry with the chief of police, police's number on my phone. Yes. Like that's that's the BlackBerry I want with me. So I would try not to look at it, but no, it was there should I need it. Right. But and also it- Blackberries were a great phone. I miss those phones. You know what? I really too, do too, and I really miss BlackBerry Messenger. Yeah, Love so PBM. Loved it. <laughs> underrated phones. <laughs> really, really underrated phones. Let's see if we can bring those back. There was a while actually where they had a BBM app, but I don't think it took off. I did not know that. It's not yeah, the same they, without the buttons and the It's the not. Wall. It's really not. No, you needed – it really was part of the BlackBerry and that I think it just didn't work, but it was, um, it, it was really funny. So I'm going to – switch gears a little, and then we're going to come back to some social media stuff. But I want to talk a little bit about your time as an entrepreneur uh, and your time doing Fangirl Vintage. And I just kind of wanted to talk a little about lessons you learned in running a business and how you're able to take those lessons with you into what you're doing now. Yes, that's a great question. Um, I think two of my biggest, amongst other things, but two of my biggest takeaways from when I was running my my shirt business where I repurposed and recycled vintage shirts um, for women's sports fans is for me, I think one now that I've worked at a startup and I really understand was um, it's really important when you're an entrepreneur to really have a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. When I started uh, Fangirl Vintage, um, it was fun. I'm, I'm trying to even think I made a few shirts, you know, put it on Etsy, uh, had fun with it. And again, through the power of social media, 
it really, really took off and it became really popular for um, across the country. I was very lucky. Um, Women sports fans alike, wives and girlfriends in all sorts of different sports. But when I originally created it for fun, I didn't expect for it to take off. And the time, I've always worked full time, the time, the resources, um, and the materials I have didn't really scale for the um, reception I was getting. So mm-hmm. while it kept me busy in a great way, I would come home from work and then quote unquote work making shirts for another five, six hours. And I kind of miss it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I like staying busy, but it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to scale it the the way that it was I had the business set up wasn't meant to scale the only way it was going to scale was if I hired people got people to help so was able to invest in larger machines and larger space but that was never my intention in the first place nor did I have the time um, or capital to do so and I don't regret any of it but it definitely now helps me understand that when you're creating something especially when you're selling a product to always remember, like, how can this scale? And Mm -hmm. that's actually one of the biggest things I've learned at The Athletic is even with any idea we have social on the app and in the product is, okay, this is a great idea, but are we going to be able to scale this knowing that we're still a small ish company? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, my biggest advice really for anyone that's looking to start sort of any businesses it may work now, but the goal is to always grow and it's not going to work later down the line and save yourself the, the stress and, and, you know, the time and really just kind of try and put that foundation and framework in place. Um, and then also with that said, for me, um, I'm someone that I really like to get everything done myself. Um, I think one of my biggest lessons that I learned during that time is to ask for help. And mm-hmm very sweet. And I'll give her um, her flowers that she deserves. But my mom helped me. (laughs) Um, She yes, she was the one that taught me how to sew when I was younger. And she knew that I had a lot of order orders coming in. She also was very like, please don't ever, you know, forget that you have a full time job. Let me help you. So (laughs) she would help me. And it was a joke that she was my unpaid intern because I didn't pay her. (laughs) But, um, you know, ask for help when you can, especially when you have, or if you have friends that can provide certain resources, you know, taking a step away from fan curl vintage, if someone were to create their own, I don't know, whatever business, a consulting firm, whatever it may be, and you have a friend that is knowledgeable in graphic design and is willing to help take them up on that. And, you know, exchange favors if you can but um I definitely should have asked for more help and those are two of my biggest takeaways because you can't be an entrepreneur and a CEO and run a business and do everything yourself as much as myself and I'm sure a lot of like-minded people like myself would want to it's just not possible no it's definitely not and I think that those are both really important pieces of pieces of advice uh and I will you know say with Fangirl Sports Network, when I started it as 49ers Fangirl, I, I really didn't think beyond that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to cover the 49ers and I'm going to do this and that. And then early on, you know, within the first couple months, felt like, okay, I'm only going to get so far with one team. And so I slowly expanded. But 
it, it's funny because the way that I was expanding at first was definitely not sustainable. It was sustainable for one team uh, and it was maybe sustainable for like the eight teams, but it certainly was not sustainable. So we went through, you know, a few different iterations um, and sometimes in business, and I, I would add like one piece that I learned, not that this is about me, but I think it's helpful, is the other thing is you have to be okay with letting go of certain mm -hmm. things. And yeah. so, you know, we know that I had this plan, like a fangirl for every team. And then this summer took a look and said, you know what, that that part of the business isn't working the way I thought it would or the mm -hmm. way I want it to. And sometimes you have to make those decisions that are really hard, mm -hmm. but they're the right decisions for your business. And that right. was a big, that was a big lesson. And it was a really, it was a hard one for me. It wasn't emotional but it was hard because it was like, no, this was my plan. This is what I wanted to do. But sometimes yeah. if you can let go of that, the stuff that's really working that maybe you didn't plan on becomes the crux of your business and is mm -hmm. even bigger than what you thought it would be. And so sometimes it's like so cheesy and a little cliche, but that idea that sometimes when you let go of one thing, something else comes in. Um, yeah. So that's, I think, just like, an, I'll add that to the to the idea, because I think it's part of growth mindset mm -hmm. is you have the growth mindset, but you have to be open to how you're going to grow. It may not be exactly how you thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And I think that's also applicable a lot of times in life of just learning to let go of things that you had in mind and it's just not working. And rather than forcing it because it's like, no, this was my plan. Just understanding mm -hmm. that that's just not how it's going to work. Yeah, it's really it really is. And it's very good life advice. You're right. Very good life advice. Um, so going back a little to social media, you're very vocal on social justice issues, which is one of the many things I love about you. <laughs> How have you been able to use your platform to positively affect change? Because you've done it in, in a really good way. Thank you. That's That means a lot. Um, yeah. So when back in May, when when George Floyd was murdered, um, I really, you know, we were at home and I think we can all agree that the reason um, it made such noise was because since we were at home, people were forced to really listen and to watch and to hear what's mm -hmm. going on. And I wanted to find a way that I, I could help. What, you know, I, um, I'm a daughter of immigrants, but I don't experience the same type of racial injustice that Black people do. And mm -hmm. I, I wanted to do my part, and what can I do to help? So I asked around, and a couple of people were like, you know, just use your platform, help educate people, and um, keep talking about it. So um, kind of going back a little bit to what we were just talking about, I like to make things. I like to to stay busy. And so from May to almost August, I created face masks, um, non-surgical face masks, partnered with um, a friend of mine who is an artist. He's a Black artist here in the Bay Area and used one of his designs, which is a not equal sign with a, a fist going through, through the equal, and it stands for racial injustice, um, the fight for racial equality. Um, and we, we put that design on the face masks, sold them, and I donated all profits to a variety of different um, organizations and charities. Um, my friend slash business partner got his cut for the use of his design, but we were able to raise over 
I think five or six thousand dollars to like ten or eleven different charities and organizations that were um, directly impacting the Black community specifically, and it was a very rewarding experience. Again, the power of social media, just people sharing it, retweeting, posting pictures, um, tagging tagging myself and the artist in it. We really were able to make a much bigger impact than we had um, anticipated. We agreed when we first started it. He said, you know, I'd be happy if we sold 50 masks. And I'm like, I agree. I think we sold like over 300 something. That's amazing. Um, and I have yeah, that's masks. just the power of social media. And they're good. They're great masks. I have them. Well, I have one. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's great to hear. But yeah, so that's just how I wanted to do my part. You know, I have, um, I have a very uh, vocal and supportive following on Twitter. What can I do to, you know, to help and to help educate people? And so for me, that's my, that was how I was able to do my part. And on top of that, I really like to just bring um, awareness and light with my passion and my work in sports to to the great things that athletes are doing um, across all leagues to fight for racial equality. So, you know, big supporter of Jalen Brown, what the WNBA is doing, what LeBron is doing with more than a vote, um, really just trying to bring more awareness because I'm a big believer that athletes should use their platform for many things, but especially when it comes to racial equality. I could not agree with you more. Uh, and a little bit along those lines that this this is going to go with what we just talked about and then other things on social media, what tips do you have for navigating trolls? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure – because we get – obviously when we, you know, post about social justice or, or anything along those lines, it's actually kind of, you know, horrifying the things mm-hmm. that people will say and it's it's very upsetting. Um, and, you know, it's hard to know how to navigate. Do you, when do you respond? Do you ever respond? Do you just leave it because you're going to end up in a social media fight with someone who's just, they're not going to agree with you. And they're, if they're taking the time to say horrible things, they're just going to continue along that path. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what tips do you have in that realm? Yeah, that's a really fantastic question. I think for those that work in social, but really just for anyone that uses social, particularly um, on Twitter, um, I encounter this a lot when I do speak up about social justice and when I do speak up about women in sports. I think old me would have replied and would have either tried to um, educate the person or would have gotten into like a Twitter fight with a no picture <laughs> Twitter account with a, you know, with right. an egg. Um, right. And, and you bring up a good point there too. <laughs> right. But I realize now that um, it's just kind of pointless. A lot of these people are replying because they, they're replying to be trolls. They don't want to be educated. They want to get a rise out of you. So oftentimes I really just ignore it. It's tough, uh, but it's, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is I'll ignore the comments. If the person says something super egregious, um, I'll block them. Mm-hmm. There's no shame. Like it's the block. There's, there's power in the block button. So I'll definitely really share is. that advice with a lot of people. And if it gets really bad, like certain posts that just perform really well, but will inherently bring the trolls, I'll just mute the conversation. Sometimes it's just so much better for your mental just to mute the conversation mute the notifications and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. 
And I think, and we've talked about this actually on Get My Job quite a bit, especially over the last several episodes, but the block and mute buttons are there for a reason. Do not mm-hmm. be afraid to use them. Don't don't feel bad. Just don't be afraid to use them. There's a reason they're there. And if you feel the need to use them, you should use them. You know, like mm-hmm. don't second guess your gut on that. If you're having that thought of, should I block this person? Yes, you should. That's the Absolutely. answer. If you're yes. thinking about it's not it, worth the, then yes, it's not worth the stress and the, the agony for someone you don't even know. 100%. Um, if you could give someone one piece of advice for starting in a career in your industry, what would it be? Oh, yes. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is to create meaningful and intentional relationships. And I put emphasis in those words because I think there is oftentimes both with aspiring professionals, regardless of the industry, both aspiring professionals and even current professionals in any industry is um, how to network. I think a lot of people just try and make connections, um, but they don't make meaningful connections. And so for for me, it's um, actually really get to know the person beyond just like, what can I do for this person or what can this person do for me? It's really just make a meaningful connection. And I think even honestly, um, how you and I became friends is a great example. It's we both had handles that with fangirl you reached out we had a phone call we got to know one another and through time and I you know I was making bracelets and shirts for your fangirls and then once you scaled you reached out to me and said you know would you be interested in doing this but we had created a meaningful connection and friendship prior to that mm-hmm. and I think that that should be said for how all networking should be approached and you know, a great example is um, I'm very active on clubhouse and Um, you know, we always encourage people to follow one another, connect, network. And, um, it's great after any room that I'll, I'll co-host, um, or even be in people will follow, follow me on Twitter and Instagram and reach out. But you always remember those that make really meaningful connections. I connected with a gal who, um, wanted to get on the phone and, um, she just wanted to see how she could help me in my goals and vice versa. And then last week she called me because she said that one of her clients, she's a content creator, videographer and photographer. One of her clients who is an athlete in Chicago had mentioned that he wanted help with his social media branding and um, presence. And she called me to see if I was interested prior to um, giving him my name. So I think that's just a great example of, you know, really just become friends with people, make really meaningful connections beyond just like, Yes, maybe this person can help you get a job, but they'll remember you more for um, you, your thought and your intention beyond just, hey, um, I'm an aspiring student or I'm a student, I'm an aspiring sports professional, and um, you know, I really would like to work for your team. <laughs> we all get messages like that. It's okay, but they're just not going to remember you, and oftentimes they're probably not going to respond. Well, and and with us, we had really built a, a friendship and we had mm-hmm. worked together in other things. And I do remember when I was scaling, you said, can I be considered, you know, as, as the Saints fangirl, I'd like to be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe my response was, I've considered it. You're the Saints fangirl, <laughs> but I knew you. Like I knew yeah. it wasn't, I didn't need to, I mean, I knew you, I knew your work. And I also remember, and I think this is important. 
as well as we knew each other at the time, because we really were already friends, mm-hmm. you didn't say to me, I want to be the Saints fangirl. You said, I want to be considered. Will you consider me? How do I apply? And I think that says a lot about who you are. And it's a different distinction. And obviously, different relationships are different. And, you know, people feel comfortable in different situations. But there wasn't this like entitlement of, hey, we're friends. I know you're scaling. So I'm the Saints fangirl. And I do think that there was a really important distinction. And you just said meaningful and intentional relationships. And you use those words for a reason. And I think words matter. And when you said, can I be, you know, can you please consider me and how do I apply? That says something as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. I vaguely remember that, but I love that. And and maybe you, and, and, but I I think that says something too, because that is just who you are. And I think it's an important thing because I do get messages from people that are, I get emails a lot that will say something to the effect of whether even it was before when we had all the team fangirls or now that will say, I'm just going to pick like a random one. Like, uh, I notice you don't cover hockey. Why wouldn't you want to uh, be a resource for women who love hockey? I'll do it. But like, it comes like a second attack. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not, I don't really want to work with you if you're like attacking me. But I get that a lot. I mean, you'd actually be amazed at how many emails I get that like, I notice you don't do this. Why don't you care about female hockey fans or whatever it is? And it Mm -hmm. comes from that as opposed to, hey there, I noticed that you guys have not had, you know, like hockey specific fangirls. I love the NHL and would love the opportunity to talk about if that's possible. But, you know, like there's a different way to do it, but I get a lot of the former and you, yeah. <laughs> I think you would be shocked at how much of the former I get. And there's just a way to handle it. So I do. And I do remember at the time you using the words consider and how do I apply? And you were pro- you were going to get that position because again I know you and I knew your work, but I think that said about a lot about you and working with you that that's how you chose to approach it. So. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah, you know that's really important, especially now that I'm a little bit more um, into my career and the similar messages I get from people. It's just you remember those that are really just um, sort of like you said, not as. Um, attacking or not as aggressive and whether or not that's their intention. Um, we all know tone gets lost in texts and in DMs and in yes. emails. And I think it's just really important to consider words and to really just consider the relationship you're trying to build and your intention behind it. 100%. And you brought up an excellent point. Tone gets lost. So mm-hmm. yes, I could be having a conversation with someone who'd be like, why don't you cover hockey? Don't you like female hockey fans? I love mm-hmm. it. I mean, by the way, now we do co- we cover everything. So this was at a different time. It was when we had team specific fangirls and we hadn't expanded hockey yet. But you have to remember, if I'm not having a conversation with you, I can't hear your tone. Yeah. And it, I think that's an important thing with email, with text, with DM especially when talking to managers, when talking to bosses, just remember that sometimes things come across differently mm-hmm. um, and read it. Don't say it in your head. Read it as if you're reading the email. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll do it. Definitely isn't going to get you a job, but yes. <laughs> or not I, would happy, I would be happy to do it if it's something you're interested in is different than, so I'll do it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Um, but I think these are things to, to keep in mind. Um, 
All right. So before we head into day in the life and five fun facts, I want to ask you a criticism you received early on that while tough to take at the time turned out to be a positive. Oh, okay. Um, so um, both personally and professionally, I've, I've been told this. And when I was younger, it was really tough for me to take. Um, now at where I am in my life and career, I, I take it for what it is and I, and I kind of make it my own positive. And then th- that is, um, I've been told I'm too emotional. And um, I am an emotional person, but mm-hmm. the way it was given to yes, exactly. The way it was given to me as criticism, both um, personally and professionally, was that there was something wrong with that. Um, but to me, it's because I really care about the things I care about. I really mm-hmm. care about my familial, my, um, my, my friendships and any, you know, romantic relationships. I really care about my career and I really care about the people around me. And so henceforth, I'm going to be emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where I was when I was younger was I, I really took that as a bad thing, but because I, and at my core, just an emotional human being, I felt like I had to sort of put myself into a box because I received this criticism that apparently I'm not going to be able to do my job well because I just am too emotional and I care too much. Um, I bring this up because this is a real life story, but I think it's really important, especially for women to remember and for women in this industry, because um, we're often called emotional. And, and it's considered a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We are empathetic human beings, most by nature. And we just really care about our jobs and therefore we'll do our jobs really well. And I just, myself where I am and for anyone that feels like they can relate to this, I really just encourage you to embrace it and to figure out how you can make that positive. I think there's finding a balance of before I was emotional in the sense of I, if I had a really difficult client at work, it would spill into my weekend and, and you know, it would kind of ruin my mood. I would have mm-hmm. to figure out a balance because your work should really never affect your personal life that much. There should be a work-life balance, but um, it's okay to care and it's okay to care, quote unquote, too much. And um, it's really just figuring out how that works for you. And I really just encourage anyone that's been called too emotional to embrace it for what it is, because it's better to feel something than to feel nothing. That is fantastic advice. Every bit of that is fantastic advice. And I hope you guys listened and then rewind and listen to that again, because it was really, (laughs) really, really good advice. Um, All right. Can you take us through a day in the life of Megan Reyes? Sure. Um, Like a current day in the life? Sure. Whatever you can pick. Okay. Um, Well, I'll give you both. Uh, Pre-pandemic, you know, wake up early. Remember putting on makeup in uh, a cute little outfit. (laughs) I used to do that. And, you know, I live in the Bay Area. Um, Our headquarters are in downtown San Francisco. So I would either take, I I once took a ferry to work, which was really fun. I felt like I was on Grey's Anatomy. Amazing. Um, or, you know, took part, not as fun, but um, into the office and would be there during the day. We had a really great office downtown San Francisco um, and then would come home and work on some of the projects that I'd be working on. Um, and it sounds kind of boring, but, you know, it's a full time career. <laughs> um, but now in like a current pandemic day in the life, um, I like to wake up. 
Um, I like to journal. Then I will go and pick up um, a coffee. I like to go to Phil's. And I'll take um, a morning drive. It's one of the, part of my daily routine, unless meetings don't um, allow for me to. But I like to take a morning drive. Um, and I really like to go to Lake Merritt um, in Oakland. And um, sometimes I'll just, if the weather's not great, um, I'll sit in my car and I'll just kind of people watch, listen to music, look at my phone. I may be doing the same things I would do at home, but at least I get to be outside the house. Um, mm -hmm. One of these days I'll actually walk it, but <laughs> for now I just like to sit and people watch and observe. Um, and then I'll come home and I'll make something to eat, run some errands if I need to while I'm out, and then really just sit down and figure out what my priorities are for the day. Um, it's it's hard. I'm sure a lot, can, a lot of people can relate, but even though we're almost a year into the pandemic, I still really haven't figured out a routine that works for me. Mm -hmm. But um, every day I always make it, whether no matter what time of day, the, the few things that I have to do are go on my drive, um, journal and then of course work and figure out what my my projects are for the day. Fantastic. Thank you Megan. This has been awesome, but of course before I let you go, we have okay. to do five fun facts with Megan Reyes. Okay. So, without further ado, five fun facts with Megan Reyes. All right, Megan, what is your favorite moment in sports? Oh, my favorite moment in sports, I think those that know me well will probably assume my favorite mo mo uh, moment in sports is when um, Tracy Porter intercepted Peyton Manning. Um, the Colts were driving, could have probably scored to win the Super Bowl, and Tracy Porter and the Saints um, intercepted him and ran it back for a pick six, and the Saints won Super Bowl 44. Um, we have one, so I'm just going to take that. <laughs> it's been like 11 years, but at least we have one, and I will hold yes. on to that forever until our next one. Totally fair. What is your life motto? Ooh, my life motto is probably similar. Um, it's sort of new, but similar to what we were talking about before. Life motto is to just let go of what you can't control. I like that a lot. What's your go-to workout? Um. I miss this a lot because it's difficult to do um, in a pandemic, but um, I love boxing, straight box, like um, boxing class. Like I never tried kickboxing, but I love hitting mitts, hitting the punching bag. I took that for granted, should have done it more when I could have, but um, <laughs> <laughs> my fave, best workout. Go-to coffee order. Um, I, okay. I love the iced coffee rosé with oat milk at Phil's. Um, mm. It is addicting. But um, for me, it's really sort of any latte or any iced coffee, but it has to have oat milk. I'm one of those oat milk snobs. Oat milk's delicious, so, so I don't blame you at all. And what is a book every woman should read? A book every woman should read? Um, oh, I think this will be a perfect culmination of everything that we've talked about today. I think every woman should read You Are a Badass because every woman is a badass. And I think based on societal expectations, things we may have learned at any point in our life, whether through family, friends, or work, um, a lot of women feel like they sort of need to minimize or um, conform or present themselves as a way that they truly are not their authentic selves. But I think that's a fantastic book to really just help you get all of that self-doubt and criticism out of your mind and really just be the person you were meant to be.
That is perfect and a perfect way to end an awesome podcast. Megan, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. And you guys, if you liked what you heard, and I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, all Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the First and Tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First and Tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First and Tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstandtenspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.